Welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Kate Martin, area ranger at Formby on the beautiful Sefton coast and a full-on nature lover. I'll be taking you on some amazing walks, delving into the stories and characters that make each place so special. We'll be traveling all around the country, from hilltop to seaside. We'll tread sandy paths and the polished wooden floors of country homes. Delight in birdsong, sublime views, and exceptionally good cream teas. So come and join me on this journey and immerse yourself in the wonders of the National Trust. The sound of the Irish Sea lapping the incredible shape-shifting dunes of the Sefton Coast near Liverpool. This week, we're on my home turf at Formby, where the National Trust manage around 1,000 acres of land. I've been a ranger here for eight years now, but this stunning sea view never fails to take my breath away. And here we are standing on this glorious golden sandy beach, which is just sloping very gently into the Irish Sea, which today is a little bit rough. So there's nice big waves just crashing in. To the south of me, I can see Wales and the Wirral Peninsula. And then to the north, I can see the tower at Blackpool and the big one. And then up to the Western Lakes and the fells there. In the summer months, Hordes of city dwellers flocked to Formby, leaving behind the hubbub of nearby towns and cities like Liverpool and Manchester, Warrington and Preston, in search of wilderness and a little bit of a breath of fresh air. But today, the place is quite subdued. There's only a handful of people enjoying gentle walks through the dunes and those beautiful windswept pine trees. But no matter the time of year, Formby really does have something for everyone. If you're a wildlife fan, this is the perfect place to catch a glimpse of endangered species like red squirrels or my personal favourite, the beautiful Natterjack toad. But if history is more your bag, this coastline holds evidence of our ancient ancestors as well as relics of our more recent past. Today I'll be guiding you through sandy dunes, woodlands and grasslands and introducing you to some of my colleagues who'll help tell the story of this really special place. We'll start inland in the sweeping Formby Pinewoods. The walk we're on now on the path run is actually all part of the Red Squirrel Walk, which is one of the walks available on the Formby website. For those who fancy a shorter walk in Formby, this route is perfect. It's just under two miles, so ideal for those with small children. One of the reasons why the woodlands here at Formby are particularly popular with people, not just locally, but people come from hundreds of miles to do this walk. And it's because of our Red Squirrels. Oh, just through the woods there, I can just see a little red squirrel. It's obviously an adult, it's got its full ear tufts going. This is quite a dark red one. They're really active, trying to fatten themselves up for the winter months. And this one here is just running around. By the look of it, it looks like it's probably searching for something it's buried a while ago and probably forgotten where it is. These woods may look natural, but they're certainly not. And actually, somebody who knows an awful lot about this area is Dr Phil Smith, a local ecologist and a real expert on the Sefton coast. The landscape here a couple of hundred years ago was uh, absolutely totally different. Um, the dunes were very wild, very open and sandy, 
and we have accounts for this area from 200 years ago by a chap called Richard Ayton. He describes the Formby area in, in great detail over several pages and it's an absolute revelation to, uh, to see what it was like only 200 years ago. He was in Formby overnight and then he says, in the morning I returned to the shore over a waste of sandhills on a scale of such grandeur and covering such an extent of ground that familiarised as I was with sand, the effect was somewhat novel to me. They extended for at least a mile in depth and were thrown into very exciting groups, exactly resembling a range of mountains with all their ridges, peaks and precipices. Many of them were fully 60 feet in height, rising precipitously on all sides. They were all very thinly sprinkled with the sea bent and exhibited a scene of frightful and irredeemable barrenness that together with the wild confusion with which they were grouped and heaped together had something in it almost amounting to the sublime. But of course things were, were, were to change, uh, partly as a result of planting trees. Um, the old manorial estates, there were two of them, the Formby and the Well Blundell, owned most of the coast. One of the things that they were particularly keen to do was to make, a, make money out of the dunes because they were viewed at that time as, quote, unprofitable waste. And so in the 1880s, uh, one of the landowners went down to southern France and he saw all the huge conifer plantations on the, on the dunes there and thought this could be a way, a way of making money. Well, that had a really dramatic effect on the coast, as we see today. As a coastal ecologist, I, I prefer the open dunes, which are far richer in species than the, than the woodland. I'm coming to the end of the Red Squirrel Walk and before I set off on the next leg of my journey around Formby, I'm passing over to my colleague who's going to guide you to something rather magical. My name's Jamie Lund and I'm the archaeologist for the National Trust in the North Region. If the tide is being friendly to us, we should see exposures of prehistoric footprints which might be somewhere in the region of seven to four thousand years old. It's a very simple walk to pick up the trail of. You simply park in the National Trust car park and follow the directional signage uh, up over the small bank of dunes, down again onto the foreshore and then look left and right and start looking for footprints. The sweet spot is about 70 to 80 metres from the toe of the dunes on the beach. We've got this wonderful golden sand here at Formby. But sand isn't what we're looking for. We're looking for an underlying strata of dark brown, muddy beds. Hello there. I can guess what you're doing. Have you had any luck? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you might be looking for prehistoric footprints. Yeah, we were actually, and I wasn't sure where they well, are. They're, they're, they're on, definitely on here. Like Horseshoe shaped ones up there, but they're the. I think the horses have gone by recently. Yes. Unless a dinosaur's gone past. The horses are a bit of a pain when you're trying to spot the prehistoric <laughs> footprints. It was somewhere around here and I couldn't think where. I think you're right. And you can find it over here. we would be all day now, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. See you. Now then, what have we got here? This looks quite promising. This is our first good, plausible footprint, I would say. It's a red deer print. 
the landscape would have looked very different to what it does now at a time when the deer and the other animals and, and people that have left their footprints at Formby would have been walking along this area. And it would have been this wonderful, uh, muddy, lagoon-type environment that would have been very attractive for animals wanting to perhaps wallow or find pools of fresh water to drink. And, of course, where you've got herds of herbivores, you've got predators. And, of course, at the top of that apex of, of hunters are people themselves. Prehistoric hunter-gatherers. On a single day, you could have gone inshore fishing, you could have collected all sorts of edible seaweeds and, and other greens that are growing in the muds and along the sand dune. We're very lucky that these prehistoric footprints have, have survived here at Formby. Once they'd actually been formed by a foot going into this soft layer of wet mud, it was obviously hardened by the sun. So straight away that tells us that the person must have been walking here in late spring or summer and there was sufficient strength in the sun to bake that mud and create a, a hard crust that didn't just simply smooth down and ebb away. It was then covered over by just a light dusting of sand and had the effect of, of a sheet of greaseproof paper. Uh, it stopped all of these different layers of sediment sticking together into one homogenous layer so that today when the tide comes and starts to erode a layer, it peels off very neatly without trying to pull off the upper surface of the layer below. Those people with a specialist eye can tell an awful lot about the prehistoric footprints that we can find here. Just looking at the way that the foot has landed on the ground and the way that the weight has been distributed across the foot, you can tell whether people are walking normally, whether they're limping. We can spot the difference between men and women and we can even spot uh, women who are probably pregnant by the way that they tend to lean back onto their heels. So I often look at the footprints that I see at Formby and wonder, well, are, are they hunting and gathering or are they playing? Are they simply going for a walk? And I think in being able to see these footprints and see the traces left by people 6,000 years ago, it really encourages you to open your mind to exactly what their lived experiences might have been like. There was a huge concentration of a couple of hundred footprints in one area and after a few minutes of looking we could see that people had approached this central point from all points of the compass. There's five or six people coming from different angles and they'd come together in a huge scrum and people's feet were spinning around, they were rotating, they were digging their toes in as if they were trying to get pressure and I was trying to think well, what on earth does this mean, what was happening here? And I thought about, you know, are they trying to corner something? Are they catching something? Or is this a game? You know, are they falling around? Are they wrestling? They're pushing each other in the mud and having a, you know, a whale of a time. And of course, we'll never know. But I think each of those scenarios is, is very interesting. That was Jamie Lund looking at the amazing ancient footprints on Formby's beach. And for anyone visiting Formby, it's definitely well worth a trip to see these footprints. It really is magical. For me, it's that idea of actually standing on the very same mud that these people actually walked in, that real connection to the people that once lived here. 
I wonder what they would have made of today's walkers. And to be honest, they probably would have thought we were mad just walking around for fun and not for anything in particular. We heard from Jamie about how ancient people reaped food from this land. But let's fast forward a few thousand years and the inhabitants of Formby had acquired a taste for something a little bit more refined. Asparagus. Now I'm headed on another short walk that's actually named after this fine food, which was once grown in abundance here at Formby. Today, asparagus production has declined. There is only one Formby asparagus grower left, but you can still see the flat sandy fields where the crop once thrived and grew here. There are two asparagus walks around Formby, a shorter trail, it's about a mile and three quarters, which is suitable for people of all abilities. But the walk I'm doing today is a little bit more challenging. It's just under three miles. And joining me on this stroll is John Dempsey, who is the Sefton Coast Landscape Partnership Scheme Project Officer. Hi, John. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? I'm all right. It's lovely morning. It's glorious, nice and clear, isn't, isn't it? Lovely. The area in front of us is very, very flat. And this area is famous for its asparagus, isn't it, John? It is. I mean, this is uh, an eye onto, uh, onto Formby's history, if you like. Uh, the Formby asparagus, of course, is world famous. I don't think a lot of people who visit Formby realise just how much asparagus changed this landscape and how much the cultivation left its, its footprint here. It's quite strange that these open areas that are the result of asparagus have actually ended up being almost a, a good refuge for some of the dune species that might struggle otherwise. But I don't think the guys who were planting the asparagus thought of it that way. Uh, as, as humans, sometimes we, we're quite unaware of the, the effects our, our footprints have on the landscape, but it's, uh, it's interesting nonetheless. It's lovely just to look on some of the fields as well now at this time of year to see how the local wildlife uh, moves perhaps from out of the dunes into these flat areas. You can see a few rabbits legging around over there. Rabbits, of course, are vital for our dune system where we're heading now. Uh, because they're the natural grazers on this coastline. These are the guys we rely upon to keep the vegetation down. Open sand means all the wonderful species we hopefully get in the, the dunes uh, can survive there. We have some wonderful species on this coast, things like the dark green fritillary, lovely big orange butterfly that we enjoy on the wing here in summer. Um, it's, it's something that loves plants like heath dog violet, which is a dune specialist. Uh, the caterpillars feed on that earlier on in the year, and of course a good year for the heath dog violet means a good year for the butterflies. We're moving now into all the lovely marum grass, which is the thing that binds all the dunes together on the Sefton coast. People forget as well sometimes, I think, that our wonderful little natterjack toads, later in the summer, they'll move out into the dunes and onto the tide line as well to feed. So an open sandy system like this is absolutely vital. Natterjacks, they're slightly bigger than the common toad, but the real sort of telling sign of them, they have a, a yellow stripe that goes down the back when they're adults. They've got the most beautiful amber eyes that are sort of flecked with a deeper brown. They crawl. They're not hoppers like sort of common frogs. They are nocturnal and it's the males that come out first and then they will start calling. Sort of deep ratchet-like call that the males make to call to the females and you can hear them from miles away. Certainly a mile away you can hear them calling. We've just walked out over the dune system and to this open expanse of golden sandy beach. An incredible place to watch the ships coming and going from all over the world and of course 
you know, we've got such a tremendous maritime heritage here, but it's full of wildlife as well. A day like today, lovely bit of a chop on the sea, so it's a bit hard to spot, but there'll be grey seals out there. Uh, there'll be thousands of common scoters, these lovely ducks that come down and spend the winter with us after having bred up in the far north. Um, just a magnificent place. There's divers out there, grebes, all sorts of wonderful things. And, of course, jellyfish. We're getting more and more jellyfish now, uh, which means... Potentially, we might even have turtles off this coast at certain times of the year. In fact, you remember, Kate, that great big storm we had in 2013? Uh, we had a wonderful Kemp's Ridley's turtle that was blown right the way across the Atlantic from the Caribbean. And the poor little fella came out on the beach just down the coast from us here. Um, a bit shocked, a bit, uh, a bit surprised to find herself not in the Caribbean, but that's how life goes sometimes. It just shows you a sea like the Irish Sea, an incredible place. and it's, it's a doorstep to the world. I love looking out here, even seeing the modern ships and thinking, oh, where are you going? Where are you come from? Absolutely wonderful. And talking about the shipping, there's also a lot of ships that maybe weren't quite as successful on their voyages, and there's a good few of them that you can see off the coast here. There are, yeah. I, I love the wrecks on the Sefton coast. My, my obsession with them is well known locally. Uh, we lead walks out throughout the year, but you have to go with a guide, really, because like any low-tide area where we have such a big tidal range here, there's a lot of soft mud, a lot of dangerous channels. You need to know where you're going, and conditions can, uh, can change very quickly. But if ever you get the chance, come along, because they're, they're wonderful things to see. Uh, but there are some crackers. I mean, so many nice stories. My favourite is our own whiskey galore story, the story of the Pegu, which is on the beach just down from us at the moment. About a mile or so down, the Pegu was uh, a ship heading out to... Rangoon from Liverpool in 1939 and it ran aground for whatever reason but the most interesting thing about the, the Pegu was their cargo which of course was uh, crate upon crate of whiskey uh, when she ran aground the, the customs men decided because she's a long way out they decided that the wreck was safe where it was for uh, a little while uh, and they wouldn't need to secure it on the night but the good people of Formby knew better and were out there like a shot uh, with their carts, with wheelbarrows, which whatever they could use, and, uh, and help themselves to the booty. So, so what they decided to do, a lot of these guys, was they hid the whiskey down rabbit holes and buried it in the sand. And for, for years afterwards, so the story goes, the guys would pop down again of an evening just to help themselves. No more whiskey now, I'm afraid. That's long gone. We've had the beach pretty much to ourselves this morning. We've had a few people wandering around in the distance. But this area is really popular for walkers for all different reasons. Families coming out for nice walks and local people coming to walk their dogs. Actually, there's a lady just in front of us here with a gorgeous little dog. Her name's not Lula, is it? Lola. Lola? Yeah, I think I met your husband most clearing, when I was clearing the boardwalk the other day down oh, Lifeboat Road. Probably. He's busy today, so I'm taking a... So I've walked down the other way normally and come back through the dunes, but thought make it a little bit easier today. And with the tide in, it's such a gorgeous place and peaceful and just just lovely, really. Yeah. And I, uh, I say certainly meeting Lowly the other day, I know she certainly likes to uh, get into the sea and have a ball thrown for her on this beach. Well, she's like a child. She's just running down the boardwalk, sort of full of excitement, ready for the ball to be thrown all the time. Um, and you can walk along the beach and you hardly see a soul, and it's just a beautiful place. So we, we love it up here. We've come to the end of this walk here this afternoon, and this is my last podcast. I'm really sad because I have really, really enjoyed it. 
I've been to some beautiful places and the wonderful thing about North Wales and the Peak District and here at Formby, yeah, there are so many places you can walk. It's just about getting out there, strapping your boots on and seeing where the nature takes you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. For more information about Formby and to download maps and information on today's walks, you can visit our website at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash Formby. The next three episodes of this podcast will be taking you into the world of books and literature through some of the National Trust's amazing spaces. I'll be handing you over to my esteemed colleague, James Grasby, the National Trust curator for the Midlands. In the next episode, he'll be your trusty guide through the tranquil arts and crafts home of the playwright, politician and philosopher, George Bernard Shaw, one of the most quoted men in the world. That episode will be available in a couple of weeks, but there will be a mini episode available next week where I'll be learning about what's on the menu for red squirrels here at Formby. Until the next season of the National Trust podcast, from me, Kate Martin, goodbye. Goodbye.